Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we conclude our series, The Ten Commandments, with a message entitled, The Good Life. So turning your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 to 15, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Today I'm ending my three-week series on the Ten Commandments with with an explanation of all ten. I'm calling this The Good Life. You know, years ago, a British sitcom was entitled The Good Life, and it was a, a weekly TV series about a couple who decided that their working at their meaningless jobs was not satisfying. And, and so they found a way to go off the grid and generate their own electricity and buy and sell stuff by bartering and, and to live simply. Well, I don't know if you think that's the good life, and I'll be frank with you. It's not my idea of the good life, but truth be told, everyone has an idea of what the good life would be like for them. Well, did you know that the Old Testament makes it plain that the good life is living in obedience to God's law? Ah, but I can almost hear my listeners complaining. That's not the good life for Christians. We're not under the law. We're under grace. The good life is having Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And, of course, that's true. There is no good life unless you've been ushered into the, into the holy of holies through the precious blood of Christ. But the question always remains, how then shall we live? Now, by the way, one of the reasons why people argue against teaching the Ten Commandments, well, it comes from that well-worn phrase, I'm not under the law, but I'm under grace. And it's true. You're not under law. But what does that mean? It means at least two things. It means first, We're not under the Jewish restrictions of the law, and that includes, of course, circumcision and the dietary law. And second, we know that the law does not save, can't. The law provides no road of getting right with God. Only the grace of Jesus does that. But we are not free from the law of Christ, and we're not free to break the Ten Commandments. Listen to Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Doesn't that sound like God thundering from Mount Sinai saying, thou shalt not? It does. Christian people are not lawless people. The New Testament is not free from commands, and as Galatians reminds us, God promises death if we will not obey his commands. You know, so many of our trite responses to the Ten Commandments betray we've lost track of the Bible entirely. God's commands are not legalism, nor are they suggestions. And by the way, did you know that the Bible never uses the word legalism? Instead, the Bible warns about those who want to be justified by the works of the law. You see, the Bible warns us that we will not get right with God by law-keeping. The law has no power to convert the heart, but the law does teach us where we've sinned. I hope you see the difference. The Bible warns us that we must not think that by law-keeping, we can find our way to God because we can't. Your efforts won't get you to God. But the Bible, on the other hand, warns us not to be lawbreakers. Martin Luther said the following about the Ten Commandments. He said, this much is certain. Anyone who knows the Ten Commandments perfectly knows the entire scriptures. 
In all affairs and circumstances, he can counsel, help, comfort, judge, and make decisions in both spiritual and temporal matters. He is qualified to sit in judgment upon all doctrines, estates, persons, laws, and everything else in the world. It's an interesting quote. Luther said that knowing the Ten Commandments make you competent to understand the entirety of Scripture, but it also helps you counsel others and how to make your own decisions well. In short, the law in form of the Ten Commandments help you to live the good life. So in short, we need law in our lives. We are not lawless people. I want you to imagine that you've been given tickets to see a football game. You get to the game and you settle down in the stands and you notice something strange is going on. All sorts of people are on the field and some have uniforms and some don't. You notice a football on the field, but someone has a soccer ball and a group of people are starting to set up a ping pong table in the middle of the field and they're playing ping pong and others have just brought some lounge chairs and they're sitting around sipping drinks. Well, nothing like this has ever happened before. You notice some people are booing in the stands and some people are getting into fights and finally you find an usher and you ask, hey, what's going on here? I thought I was coming to a football game. And the usher asks, well, what do you mean? This is a football game. Well, you tell him that doesn't seem to be a football game because there are no rules out there. And he says, rules? Whose rules? Who are you to determine what football is all about? Those are your values. Don't you go around and impose your rules onto someone else. (laughs) As bizarre as that might sound, that I think is an apt illustration of a prevailing sense of aimlessness all around us. We live in a society that hates rules. Does it matter? Yeah, it does. It means that we're becoming aimless. We have no sense of direction. We don't know what life is for, and everyone seems to be making up their own rules, and chaos is the result. You know, some time ago, Time Magazine ran an article entitled, The Evolution of Despair. I mean, they pointed out that rates of depression have doubled in some industrial countries every 10 years. Suicide is now the third most common cause of death among young people in North America. 15% of Americans have had a clinical anxiety disorder. The article goes on to say that the problem with modern life is that the way in which we structure our society and lives is, in fact, on a collision course with mental health. So do God's laws matter? Well, let's be careful about what we say. The law, as I've said, does not help you get right with God. The law does not forgive your sins. Only the grace of Christ can do that. But in order to understand the place of God's law, let's find out what the law that is, what the first five books of the Bible tell us about the law of God. We're going to read Deuteronomy 30, 11, all the way to 20. But before we do that, let me give you some background. All of Deuteronomy is, in fact, a sermon. It's the longest sermon in the Bible. It's delivered by Pastor Moses. Moses is now an amazing 120 years old. He's about to die, and he's addressing a new generation of young people. These young people did not experience the painful life of slaves in Egypt. They didn't see the miracle of the Red Sea crossing or the giving of the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. So this is Moses' sermon. It's encouraging a a new generation to live by the law. This generation was about to enter into the promised land, a promise that was now 400 years old. But what would happen to them in that land? Moses thought that what happened to them was entirely dependent upon whether or not they obeyed the law. So let's begin reading Deuteronomy 30, 11 to 15. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. 
It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Now then, this is vital. From verses 11 to 14, Moses says something that should astonish us. When speaking of the law, he tells that generation, you can do it. You can do the law. I know that's astonishing because many of us have assumed that nobody can keep the law. But, but before we look at that, I want you to notice three things that Moses does say. First, he says it's not complicated. Look at verse 11. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. Again, that's surprising because many of us think the law is extremely complicated. I mean, there are hundreds of rules ranging from everything to animal sacrifice to what kind of seeds to sow in a field to what to do on special feast days to civil laws about the use of your animals and so forth. It's complicated, just like any law of any country. You've got to get a lawyer to understand. But that's not what Moses has in mind. I suspect that most of us, when, when we think of the law, think of the rules that the Pharisees placed on top of the law. You know, for instance, the Pharisees had hundreds of Sabbath laws, and they weren't found in the Old Testament, and it became a very complicated thing indeed. But it was never intended to be that way. In fact, one day Jesus was asked just this question, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And indeed, the law becomes quite simple. It is a way of loving God and a way of loving one another. Hi, this is Ben Lowell from Back to the Bible Canada. We believe Bible teaching is critical for God's people, and your support is critical in making the daily Bible teaching program with Dr. Newfeld available on this station. But we know there's times when you may miss the radio program, so we want to remind you of all the opportunities available for free for your use and convenience. At backtothebible.ca, you can search through a library of messages and series both audio and video with Dr. John, but also learn more about our ministry podcasts, YouTube channels, mobile applications, and print resources. Our desire is to serve you so that the Bible teaching you can trust is available to as many people in as many ways as possible. For more information or to support this Bible teaching ministry, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. I've said in this series that the Ten Commandments are the essence of the law. Much of the rest of the Old Testament law works out the implications of the Ten in the national life of Israel. And the New Testament then takes the essential law and works it out for all the people of God, those who have faith in Jesus at all times. And it is not complicated. Love God, love people, and that, my dear friends, is what God requires of you. But here's the question. How do I do that? 
Does it mean having emotional feelings toward God and people? Well, no. Then how do I do it? And the answer is the Ten Commandments. The first four tell you how to love God. You shall have no other gods. You shall not make an image or a representation of God. You shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. And you shall keep the Sabbath holy. That's how you do that. But how do I love people? And the answer, again, is simple. The last six commands tell you how. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not envy other people's stuff. And That's it. That's how to love God and love people. And it's not complicated. After that, everything else in the law was how to work out those Ten Commandments in the everyday life of Israel. It's a record of how God directed one nation, his chosen people, to work out the details. Now listen up. It takes about five minutes to memorize the Ten Commandments. That's how simple they are. So at the outset, you can do it. That is, you can know them. It's not complicated. Now, in verses 12 to 13, it says that it's not impossible to keep the law. That may sound surprising. Well, if the first generation who heard God speak the law couldn't keep that, then what use is there for any of us to even try? And with that, Moses gives the answer to a new generation that has witnessed their fathers and their mothers fail in the keeping of the law. He tells them that keeping the law requires a new heart. Look again at verse 14. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, and you can do it. And Paul repeats that very same theme in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verses 6 to 9. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? Here's the quote. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith we proclaim, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Boy, I hope you caught that. The reason we aren't saved is because we break the law. But the external law is unwelcome to the unregenerate heart. So we need a law in our heart. You need it in your mouth. How do you get there? And the answer is, well, by confessing Christ as Lord and God. That's exactly what the prophet Jeremiah said. He promised that God would give a new covenant. And according to Jeremiah 31, verse 33, the new covenant that the Messiah would bring was this. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So then this is the new covenant. The law is in our hearts now, not on stone tablets, not on a piece of paper, not even just in our Bibles, although that's important. It's written in our hearts. You say, so what? Does it matter? Isn't it just important to get forgiveness from Jesus? Why do we need the law in our hearts? And Moses answers that in Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 to 18. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you will surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. 
So Moses says that each of us are given a choice. It is, first of all, a choice of life and good. See, every once in a while, someone will ask this question. Do the Ten Commandments have any relevance for unbelievers? And and the answer is, yeah, even for them. You know, in his book entitled The Abolition of Man, C.S. Lewis argues that if you check a number of ancient societies, you're going to find remarkable agreement in their ethical and moral standards despite widely different cultures. What he's saying is that God has created these standards in the heart of all people. And I can add something to that. The Ten Commandments are God's charter for humanity. Any culture that embraces them embraces life and good. It's a good place to live if you live in a culture that accepts the Ten Commandments. But there's a second choice, and that's the choice of death and evil. I want you to consider a society that looks like that. People worship whatever God suits them. They construct faulty pictures of what God is like. They make jokes with God in them. In fact, they even use the name of God at expressions or as a swear word. They have a seven-day work week that robs them of rest and worship. Kids are disrespectful to their parents. Indeed, their, their therapists tell them that most of their emotional problems are because of their parents, and their parents are to blame. In this society, there are a whole class of people whom you can legally murder, like, for instance, the unborn. In this society, insurance rates on cars and in business inventories is so high because something is stolen every three seconds, and that doesn't even count all the intellectual theft that happens. In this society, sexual ethics are in turmoil, and because of that, divorce rates skyrocket. Sexually transmitted diseases are skyrocketing, and people no longer know how to form intimate attachments. In this society, people no longer think of lying as a moral tragedy. Personal property is no longer respected. Everyone has a sense of greed. Gambling is up, and so are gambling addictions. What would you call a society like that? Well, you might say, I think I know. But listen, this is a society that has chosen death. It's a society that has chosen evil. Deuteronomy 30 verse 19 says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. So instead of pointing fingers and clucking our tongues at our culture, which has chosen death, we offer to the culture a chance at the good life rather than the culture of death. But how do we choose life? Well, from our passage, we have to understand the nature of the choice. God has set before us the choice of life and death. Understand that every single day, each one of us makes that choice. You will choose life or death. Imagine the following scenario. You're a married man with a decent job. There's a woman, maybe she's 10 years younger than you, and she's very pretty. She has a winning smile, and she seems to be saying, you know, I'm available. You know what you're involved in? Moses, the preacher, is telling you what you're involved in. It's the choice between life and death. Proverbs 7.27 says of the immoral woman that her house is a highway that leads to the grave. Imagine with me, I was holding a glass of water that also had poison in it. Would you drink it? Well, you'd say, of course not. Why? It's cold water, I say. it. It's refreshing water. It satisfies. At least it does for the time being. Yeah, but in the end, it kills. You know, this is breaking God's commandments. It is always death in the end. We also need to understand what our choices look like. 
Deuteronomy 30 verse 20 says, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land. And there you have it. Choice of life is the choice of submission, of bending the knee to the God who made you. But the choice of death is rebelling against his hand. Understand also that there is a logical outcome to the choice. And here's where it's especially important. I want you to imagine two kinds of poison. One is like strychnine, it's gonna kill you in 15 minutes, and the other, well, let's say it's tobacco, and it's gonna take about 30 to 40 years. Do you understand that both, however, lead to death? You see, this is the choice that's always before the human race. Every day, you and I choose life or we choose death. I'm so thankful for the death of Christ who has destroyed the curse of the law. But this is so important. Christ has saved us from the poison of strychnine, not so that we can keep drinking strychnine, but so that we might have life. And that's what's before us. Now, it must be said, how do we choose life when our hearts are in love with death? And the answer is, Christ has to set you free. But when you're set free, you are set free not to drink strychnine. You are set free to drink the water of life that comes from the Spirit of God. John, thanks so much, and thanks for this series. You know, I got two questions I want to ask you, but maybe the first one is, you know, when we think about the Ten Commandments, so many people, I would think, think that as a negative thing, as though it restricts us and holds us back from being the people we want to be rather than freeing us. And I think that's what you would think or you would suggest that the Ten Commandments are all about. Yeah, they're freeing. Um, I think I could use a very easy example, and that is— uh, you know, is it, is it a restricting thing to be told that you need to drive on the right-hand side of the road? Um, you know, I should have the freedom to drive on both. Well, I'm trying to prevent a tragic car accident. So, you know, thou shalt not can actually lead to great freedom and life. So I think that's what the Ten Commandments do. They, they tell us where death resides. Don't go there. Why should you die? You want to live. Okay, now I got to ask you this. This is the last day. Why the Ten Commandments? Why is it important for us as Christians today? Yeah, I, you know, Ben, that's such a good question. This thing called sin, um, you know, it, it, we can't make any sense of the cross of Jesus unless Christ died for our sins. And so many of us, sins is just this, this vague concept that we've never put, you know, any kind of feet around. And so we don't even know what it looks like. But the Ten Commandments, I mean, just strips away all the veneer and helps us to look straight at our sin. And, and it should drive us to the cross of Jesus. Thanks so much, John. And thanks for joining us today. And remember to join us again next week right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. You know, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know how the ministries or ministry resources of Back to the Bible Canada are impacting your life. Is there a specific resource or medium, a message that has brought blessing and encouragement into your life? Not only do your notes and emails offer encouragement, but they allow us to know how we can provide effective Bible teaching ministry. Our mission is to build you up in God's Word and to grow faithful disciples for His church. So touch base, would you? Email us at info at backtothebible.ca or visit us at backtothebible.ca and click on contact and leave your message there. We're so grateful for all you do to support this Bible teaching ministry. 
for more information or to send a gift, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.